Hey everybody, I'm Peter and I'm a furry little guy. He's making Bantha Babies, it's my Welcome to Rebels Rebels, the podcast that explores the Star Wars expanded universe and just the universe in general. Yep, and today we are specifically exploring Check's Notes, Mandalorian Season 3 Episode 1. How are mm, you funny. doing, Mike? Nice quip. Yes, yes, yes. I am pretty excited to jump into this one. Quite yeah, we we usually don't talk. Episode. We usually don't talk about episodes until we we meet. But we had so many friends reaching out to us totally to talk. That this is really we haven't fully dove into it, but we've had little side conversations, which is funny. That's the first time it's happened. I know all of our friends from all around the country just keep texting, just keep yelling at them. Save it for the pod. Yeah, which I, yeah, I don't want to so. do. But, you know. <laughs> no, no, I didn't actually do that. It is interesting. This is the first time I kind of know how you feel about this episode. But you know what? Uh, I don't I, know, actually. I don't think you do. Interesting. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm probably friendlier to other... I don't like... This is a funny conversation. I don't like bringing down others. Um, so when someone's like, wasn't that cool? I'm never like, no, nah, it sucked. Um, not to say I think this sucked, but I will... W- within... With certain people who who reach out for like positivity, like, well, wasn't that cool? Like my uncle Chris, who I love reached, uh, was like, Oh man, that wasn't that great. And I didn't want to be like, yeah, but this, 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 you know what I mean? Oh yeah. That totally makes sense. So Mike is a liar to his friends and family. Got it. Yeah. Well, no, when, <laughs> when people enjoy stuff, I just don't want to be the person who's like, nah, that sucked. Fair enough. I so do that. Actually, I, I do that pretty... so much actually. <laughs> I'm kidding. I know. I'm very surprised to hear that. Yeah, actually, I do that all the time. But with yeah. Star Wars, I try to be like, I just get excited when people like Star Wars. So it's the one thing I try not to crap on to casual fans. I just, yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. It's just, I, now I'm intrigued. I wasn't intrigued. All the mystery in our relationship mm-hmm. was gone, but Here now I want to know. Let's just jump into it. Mike, how sure. did you feel about Book of Boba Fett, Chapter 5, Return of the Mandalorian, a.k.a. the season premiere of Mandalorian Season 3? That shit sucked. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> I just I just found out I can say the S word, so I'm just going to use it ad nauseum. Um, oh, no. no. Um, it was really fun. It was really fun. I... I it's interesting. I I think it was I think it was successful and I think I was hooked um and largely I I think some of the I don't know if one joke landed for me and this was an episode weirdly overwrought with with jokes and I felt like the tone of this episode could have worked so much better if they went a little more serious, but it was so quippy and jokey. And honestly, Amy Sedaris just bugged the bejeebus out of me. (laughs) Um, But loved seeing the Mando. I think that's a great way. I think I, I, I like what they're doing here, which I think is new and a little dangerous like if from a storytelling perspective of like this could have come across really cheap but it feels like this could be a great tie-in um to the mandalorian 3 and a great way to end boba fett because how do you end this show besides <laughs> mm-hmm. i don't know i don't know but but we'll jump into things deeper there how did you feel overall yeah it's difficult there's some things that you brought up that i definitely agree with and some things that i don't necessarily agree with but the difficult part is it's almost impossible to talk about this without having two conversations at once. 
because you said you said something. You said like, yeah, I thought it was successful, but it's like successful for whom? Like, was it successful for Star Wars as a franchise? Um, I think so. I think there's a lot of really interesting things that they're doing here. That's kind of the more you think about it, mind blowing. Um, was it successful for the series Book of Boba Fett? I would say hard no. <laughs> See, that's that's where I think the deep conversation is. And so I would disagree with you there. That's Be- interesting. And maybe let's just start there because that's actually what I've been struggling with. Because I, I'm not going to say like I felt that way when I was naive like you. I, I, I felt that way for quite a while until I started to examine the deeper thing under that for me, which is... Well, are there rules here? Are there rules of like, like uh, there's classic storytelling TV show things like when the titular tight, you know, the titular character Boba Fett is sidelined by a bigger character and no longer the focus. Is that breaking a rule or is that breaking your expectations or is it resetting your expectations of what this of what these kind of shows could be for me i'll just i'll say i was pretty like this is no longer boba fett this is just mandalorian and then i had to kind of stop and just examine that a little bit and be like well one doesn't matter two did i want more boba fett and three is this and i i guess like the third one is do I feel like this is creating something new in the universe and more than in the universe? I think this could be potentially creating something new in storytelling genres, which is upending our expectations, but not in a way that's like, Oh, now this, now this show is about something totally different. It's still very much within the context of star Wars and Boba Fett's arc, but it feels like almost like this is, like a side arc, like a side quest comic book series mm-hmm. of like, okay, now go see what they do over here and then we'll tie it in and bring you back over here. And I think that's actually kind of cool if that's the route this is going to take, which is no, it's not about Boba Fett, but is that okay? And to me, I, I think it's okay. And I think it works in a way that is not a skirting storytelling, ex- modern storytelling expectations but in a in a way i like and i think we could use more of yeah i so i think i actually agree with you we might be feeling the same thing but maybe just missing each other on the terminology i still think what you describe unless i'm misunderstanding is what i'm talking about that for star wars as a whole the way that they're going to tell stories, the way that they're going to expand this universe, the way that they, frankly, when people were getting a little bummed out of Book of Boba Fett, just reminded everyone, like, hey, we got something cool still that's in the pipeline. Don't forget how much you love Mando. Like, that's all successful. How much more excited are people about Star Wars and the stories that are to come in the greater universe <clears throat> based on this episode than they would have been if this was just a regular episode of Book of Boba Fett? You also said... Something that I thought was interesting is... Don't take words out of my mouth. <laughs> I am par- I'm not even paraphrasing. I'm quoting. You said a bigger character showed up in Book, Book of Boba Fett. And I think that on its face kind of proves one of the points that I'm saying is, you know, 
it's kind of nuts to think that book of that Boba Fett, this character that's been in our mind since the eighties is sidelined like this and now is a lesser character in the star Wars canon because this new person has shown up on the scene and frankly just blows them out of the water in terms of interest, intrigue, making us want more. I think that's, what I was saying, like, the more you think about it, this is really crazy because there's obviously been crossover episodes of TV before. I don't think there's ever been an episode like this specifically. No, I, I don't think, think this is a crossover. I think it's somewhat revolutionary. Yeah, I think so, too. It's like, imagine if, like, the Soprano, you were like, you heard there was going to be a Sopranos crossover where, like, the Wire, a Wire character was going to show up, but then you tune in and it's just like, psych, nope, this episode of Sopranos is now in Baltimore and it's only about the Wire. <laughs> Yeah. Like that's weird and that's gutsy and that's some it is pretty gutsy. interesting storytelling. You have to be really confident that your main story you're telling in this series, Boba Fett, your main characters could stand up to that comparison. And I feel like in almost every way, Book of Boba Fett is lessened by how good this episode was from a cinematic standpoint, from an acting standpoint, from a storytelling standpoint, from a directing standpoint, just everything that I have been wanting. And Book Boba Fett, I will say, frankly, in the first two episodes, had shades of that I was excited for. But the last, the, the mo- more recent two episodes have kind of really faltered. And then to shove this in there, I feel like really just kind of torpedoes how, I don't know, how important or special or interesting the book of Boba Fett story specifically is. Does that make sense? It does. And so I think, and the more you think about it, and this is a question I want to ask you is where we left off with this episode. Mando was asked, I I felt like, okay, this is still a Boba Fett story. If he shows up on Tatooine and then Fennec Shan comes, is like, Hey, we need help. And, and Mando's like, okay, cool. I'll help. And then the last two episodes of book of Boba Fett is a kind of a team up. Cool. That makes sense. Th- that might not happen. We have two more episodes and Banda gets that offer and says, okay, yeah, I'll help, but I got to do something first. Yeah. And then, so sure. does, is, is it going to be weird if he, uh, the next episode is him going to Grogu? And then the next yeah. after that is, okay. So I, I think this is two things. I think one, it's a content problem. And by mm-hmm. content, I mean, literal con- content writing, but two, I think it's an intentional content problem. I'll unpack that. <clears throat> Let me unpack that for you, Peter. Thank you. Um, they named this show The Book of Boba Fett. So your expectations are very intentionally set on what this is to be. Had they have, but in doing so, they shrouded, it was the Phantom, the title is The Phantom Menace. They're, they're keeping your attention somewhere else. <laughs> Mm-hmm. to then pull you back in another direction that was so unexpected and worked pretty well. Had they had named this show something like Bounty Hunters on Tatooine or, I don't know, yeah. More Tales from Bounty Hunters, something like that, then I think, no, I, I think we're not complaining, but I think this conversation may be a bit different. Yeah, I think that's true. And I think that's, I mean, that's, that's, I think we're in agreement. I think I... Let's not disagree, Peter. Yeah, why not? It's a nice day. It's nice out. We it's, got some It was cool your Star birthday Wars. yesterday. It was my birthday yesterday. There's no reason to disagree. No. So I think we are in agreement. I think 
that is true that it was set up as a Boba Fett story. And so from the standpoint of a Boba Fett story, I think this is kind of wild. And they, I mean, so take, take what I was saying before. There's a couple different directions that can go. Next episode could be another completely Mandalorian episode or mostly Mandalorian episode where he goes and sees Grogu. Even if it's 50, 50 Boba Fett and Mandalorian, how much more interesting is whatever he's going to do with Grogu versus whatever's happening on Tatooine? It could also be that that's all going to be saved for actual Mandalorian season three. And this is the sure. last we see of Mandalorian. And he never yeah. shows up. Well, yeah, yeah. That Then that's a weird thing because it's like, okay, we got this one rad episode just randomly. And then we just follow the last two episodes of these characters we don't really care about in comparison. Or it could be something we're not expecting. Or it could be a third where off screen he visits Grogu. And we'll see that in Mandalorian season yeah. three. But he makes it back in time for the next two episodes. And it's a real team up. Yeah, that's what even I, that, like, that's what I think is more likely. Is that still going to overshadow your main characters? And so I just think it's very weird. I don't know. The idea of main characters maybe is the issue. Well, that's, I mean, that's what they set up. That's what we were told. This is a Boba Fett show. It's in the name. It's what we were, we were supposed to be interested in. We were supposed to be interested in Boba Fett's past, why we care about this character, how he survived, how he became the person he is now, whatever reason he's trying to be a crime lord. That's what we were told to be, to care about. And they just kind of threw us a huge curveball and makes us not care about it as much. But are you okay with not caring about it and caring about the Mandalorian a little yes, bit more? Yes, and that's a great... I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because going back to our very first conversation before all of this stuff, I don't really care about Boba Fett. Yeah. It's funny to me, all these conversations that I see online where people are like, they're committing character assassination. Oh, they ruined Boba Fett. I'm like, Boba Fett's a chump. I don't care about him. So, you know, if this, if this in retrospect ends up being some like weird offshoot that... You know, we get the Boba Fett story and then just kind of forget about it and him and Fennec kind of show up in other things and this was a limited series. Cool. Whatever. This is better for Star Wars as a whole and franchise storytelling. Um, I don't think it's that important and these are characters that I care about deeply. So whatever. It's just very deeply weird to me. It is. It's a new kind of storytelling, a new kind of direction. And I, I, I even wonder if... I have a prediction that they're going to basically do what they did in Mandalorian season two, which is okay. A Mandalorian comes in, he goes off, he maybe comes in at the end or he may be at the very last episode. He's, he has a scene after the credits where, mm-hmm. you know, where it's like, okay, now we're going back into that world. And they kind of just do it exactly like that where, you know, whatever, maybe the last, right after the credits, it's him seeing Grogu and they just look at each other and then bump done. Yeah, totally. Um, do you have any other grand scheme thoughts or should we get into this episode? Yeah, let's get into the episode more. Yeah, I'm pretty excited. There's one thing I want to start off with because this is what I've actually been thinking about the most. And I've, uh, done one of my very ADHD multi-hour research fests and deep dives and conversations on Reddit. And I'm having actually, a, this is, I find a lot of fun in that when it's not toxic. And this ended up being a very cool exploration. Yeah. And another reason why I'm excited about Star Wars again in this episode really stoked me. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about the Darksaber and this concept wow. that was brought up about how it's heavier when you can't make a connection to it. 
If you remember, we did talk about this yeah. a bit in the trial of the Darksaber episode that we did in when we were doing our Rebels rewatch. I was getting there. flashbacks to it while we were while I was watching this. Yep. And again, as a reminder, if you haven't watched Rebels, especially I think it's season three where a lot of the Mandalorian and Darksaber stuff happens, it's such a fantastic tie-in to Mandalorian yeah. and some of the stuff that's now happening in Book of Boba Fett. So I would highly, highly recommend it. But there is a Sabine Wren, one of the rebels, gets the Darksaber and is a Mandalorian. And so Kanan starts training her in the Darksaber to try to kind of bring it back and unite the Mandalorians before the destruction that we see in this episode. And one of the things that they talk about is that it's heavy blade, which makes sense. It's old. It's made of Beskar. But more than that, as she's fighting with it, getting confident, believing in herself, that was a big through line because she didn't believe in herself that she deserved it, that she could be a Mandalorian. Once she started believing in herself, the blade actually got lighter. And Kanan says, that's because you're connecting with it. And he talks about this function of there's energy flowing from the hilt through the crystal, but also the energy from your movements and your emotions and your mind is flowing through the crystal as well. So you have this connection with your lightsaber. And so I thought that was really interesting, and it's kind of spelled out in this scene where he's training with the armorer, and he gets, it gets heavier, and they explain, you're fighting the blade. And the thing I want to talk about, I want to talk about this episode specifically, and then the greater canon implications, but this episode specifically, the direction, especially in that first fight scene, was so good. Yeah. Because you didn't really know that's what's going on, but you look at that fight now, I have it on the background right now, you physically see the blade getting heavier in Din's arms until at the very end, the only thing he can do, his last move is to hold it above his head and let the weight of this heavy blade come down like an axe and chop that dude in half. Yeah. And that's the reason why he hurts his leg because he can't really hold it anymore and he gets clumsy and bumps his leg with the blade. Yeah. And so that was such good directing. Um, so I'll stop there before I get to the greater canon and just ask, how did you like the Darksaber stuff, some of the lore that was introduced, and just the yeah. action and direction of that? Yeah, I thought it was great. And what's funny is I totally forgot about the Darksaber until he busted it out. I know, right? Kind of a great reveal on its own. Um, I don't know if you're going to touch upon this, and I'll leave it to you, but we did see a little bit of Sabine in this. <laughs> oh, I didn't... Um, not her, but we saw... <laughs> We saw the effects of her um, her creations in the short scene. I don't know if you remember, but there's a scene where over Mandalore, you see all these TIE fighters coming in, dropping yeah. all these bombs. <laughs> and that was those were the weapons Sabine created. Oh, that's wild. I saw him. Like I said, I'm watching the episode in the background. And as you're saying that, that scene is playing right now, which this looks so gorgeous. I mean, we try not to dump on Book of Boba Fett that much, but even just how this episode looks blows yeah. that series out of the out of the water. Yeah. This looks so cinematic and great, and I didn't think about the fact that this could be the weapon that basically made... Sabine made a weapon that turned Mandalorian Beskar armor into bombs yeah. that would kill the wearers, which is pretty tragic and crazy. Yeah, so I, I, I'm guessing that was... I mean, those have to be. Those have to be the weapons Oof, they're, yeah. they're, they're dropping, so... Yeah, that was that was rough. Um, but, yeah, I thought this was... Yeah, it was just so well done. And you mentioned you forgot he had it. 
I literally wrote in my notes, holy F, that dark saber scene. I forgot he had it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And it's such a big thing. And I think this is setting up some interesting stuff, especially with, we'll get to it, but him getting kicked out of the coven. Um, what's he going to do next? And I'm really excited for the lore that they're building for Mandalorian. And I could see him meeting back up with Bo-Katan. They've already cast someone to be live action Sabine in the Soka series. I know it makes so much sense now. Yeah. I'm sure that she'll probably show up first in the Mandalorian. And so he might be starting a new Mandalorian enclave that I, my guess is he's going, they they mentioned that he needs to cleanse himself in some waters underground of something. So he's still going to kind of fool himself that, Oh no, I'm just going there to purify myself and get back to my religious sect, but he'll probably grow and learn on the way I would guess. Um, But I'm just excited for that team up and all the more Mandalorian stuff we're getting. Um, But that being said, the greater canon implications are pretty interesting as well because this was laid. And so what I started thinking about was we talked about that and some of the other times that that concept may have popped up in Star Wars and not necessarily been spelled out or even intentional and it's kind of retconned now, but I think it is kind of cool. Like we talked about how that might be the reason for Kylo Ren's fighting style, it being so like kind of heavy and strong and burden, burdened and not really acrobatic because he never really fully dedicated himself to the dark side and didn't have maybe the connection to his, his red crystal. So he kind of is feeling a heftier weight behind his hilt yeah. in a kind of interesting way. That's not canon, but that's some headcanon that I think might be interesting if they explore that. Yeah, the thing, the research I did that I thought was actually kind of cool that I think they might be going this direction is that one thing that is known is that George Lucas's original original idea for lightsabers in A New Hope was that that they were supposed to be really heavy. I think he mistakenly didn't understand how heavy broadswords were, and he said a quote in in a in a documentary saying that lightsabers weighed 30 or 40 pounds like medieval broadswords because so that's why the fights had to be with two hands because they were actually pretty heavy weapons then as the movies went on he kind of wanted to show that luke was improving so he changed that and was like oh no now you can fight with one hand he's he's becoming a better jedi and so that's just something george lucas threw out there and so i wonder if they're kind of using that concept to retcon this idea and that would also explain why the combat in the original trilogy is so much different than the combat in the prequel trilogy yeah and so that's what i was kind of deep diving and exploring and thinking of all these connections of you know george lucas has said in the prequel times you know there was a stronger connection to the force just generally there were more people connected to it they had they were in practice about it also, people were using their lightsabers. They were training all the time. They were fighting a lot of people. They were in the Clone Wars using it. So you would be really familiar with this weapon. So it would feel light and airy, and you can do backflips, and you can do all this fast fighting. But by the time the original trilogy comes around, Darth Vader is probably the most prolific lightsaber user, and he probably barely uses it. Like, yeah. he barely finds Jedi to kill, and when he does kill people, he chokes them or whatever, and, you know... Maybe once every month he gets to bust it out and show someone who's boss. Whereas other people using it are just like putting it in boxes and storing it away and haven't touched it in years and years. And so this connection has fallen apart. And so when we see the fights in the original trilogy, they're still they're getting back into practice. They're not connected. There's less of a connection of the force generally because there's less force users. And so 
it's much more labored and hard. And I think that's kind of an interesting concept of kind of a cool way to retcon that, that shows that lightsabers are kind of living things really attuned to your emotions and your feelings in a very cool way. Yeah. I love that. So yeah, that was my big deep dive into that. Wow. That was my big nerdy deep dive. And then I do just want to point out because when I was talking to people, people were, were pointing out specific little instances where it's like, well, Finn used a lightsaber and it's easy or like Han Solo opened the Tauntaun, he could do it. So I just want to clarify, I'm not saying, and I don't think this episode says that it's impossible to use a lightsaber if you don't have a connection to it. It just gets heavier over time. It's more difficult. So yeah, yeah Han could use a, a lightsaber to open his, a tauntaun, but if he starts fighting with it for 15 minutes, eventually it would just like yeah. be so heavy he can't lift it. And you know, Finn barely uses the lightsaber unless I'm misremembering. He uses it for a couple minutes, doesn't do anything like exceptionally awesome. Yeah. And then, you know, he eventually gets beaten by Kylo Ren or gets surrounded by stormtroopers. And so I think that if he, again, if he continued to do it, then I think that would be kind of set up that as well. And you can see in retrospect, Finn or Ray in force awakens she has a connection with that lightsaber it's already calling to her so she already has the connection so when she first grabs it and fights her fighting style is so much more fluid and so much more uh cool and you know she's more comfortable with it and so there's way more canonical i can go on forever about other instances there's a cool one in return of the jedi that might be explained by this i'm just i'm just pumped about having some fun canon stuff to talk about again and this all makes sense and holds together in a cool way to me. And I'm excited for them to explore this. Yeah. I love that. That's, that's a great little deep dive. Yeah. But speaking of all this stuff, I think probably my favorite scenes were the ones with the armor and with, uh, what's his name? Paz, Pez, Peg, Vizsla. Um, what did you think about all of that stuff? Yeah. Um, that was awesome. I, I mean, we've, mm. we've seen bits and pieces of all the armor stuff before, um, and, uh, the Mandalorians are just, uh, such a great, I don't know. I would, I, I love living in their universe. They are so mm-hmm. interesting to me, especially the kind of the very zealot side of it. And yeah. I don't know, you know, that I love anything that kind of feels like a video game and mm-hmm. the armor stuff feels so much like a video game. Mm-hmm. Totally. Um, yeah. And I think the, you were talking about like the zealotness of it. I think. This goes back to something I've been saying over and over about when any story, especially Book of Boba Fett, succeeds. It's when they're showing, not telling. Yeah. And they did so much of this. Yeah. I, they really did. In retrospect, especially seeing Bo-Katan kind of explain, oh, those people are a cult. That's creepy that you're part of those people. And him not really knowing, feeling almost brainwashed. These two characters felt so much more dangerous yeah. when they appeared. Before any of this stuff happened, before... You know, Paz started trying to get the dark saber before any of this stuff happened. I was already just so freaked out and it had completely changed my opinion of the armor and that conclave to just really feel that their religious zealots may be dangerous versus before they were just kind of cool characters like his family. And before she said it, I was like, oh my God, he's taking his helmet off. What if they find out? Like, are they going to kill him? Are they, oh my God, like that's so, so much tension was built up. And they didn't lay all that groundwork. They didn't put in a little scene where it's like he's wistfully thinking back about all the times he took his helmet off and like, man, I hope they don't find out. Like none of that was ever said until the conflict came up. And it's such good writing and directing and storytelling. I was so happy with that. Yeah. And I think um, 
I, and I think one of the things it, it's it's it can be really tough to direct and act when you have a you know your when you have your face covered. <laughs> yeah. uh, it can be really hard. And I think and I, I there was even if you watched one the, the um whatever like the making of the Mandalorian mm. that was called on Disney Plus, but they had this session where all the directors were sitting around chatting, and I, I don't know who it was. I want to say it was oh, what's her name? Um, <laughs> the the director I probably love the most, and I forgot her name. Um, hmm. can't well, help you, but if you keep talking, I'll look up. Yeah, I'll look up Mandalorian directors and yeah, call some out for you. And she's going to be doing uh, a big chunk of. Uh, Ahsoka, I think, or so I thought. Well, okay. Well, this isn't going well. Um, it's okay. Anyways, Just go. I'll, I'll do research for you. She, uh, she, I, I think she was the one who spoke to. Sometimes in acting, the when you have, you know, you have your face covered. The most important parts can be the space between acting, like almost like negative mm. space acting, like not act, not reacting right away, but kind of these like these pauses where you're the audience is inferring what's going on through the silence. And there's a lot of that acting happening in the moment when she asks Din Jaren if he's yeah. taken his mask off and it's just like this pregnant pause, but it just works so well. And instead of, yeah, like to your point, instead of like a flashback of like totally. him taking off his helmet, it's just like, it's such a good pause and it's such good acting and almost like the negative space of the acting. Yeah, they did such a good job with that. I bet who you're thinking of is Deborah Chow. Yeah. Um, I, I, yeah. Who is going to be working on Obi-Wan. That's right, Obi-Wan. Yeah. Oh, she's so good. Yeah, she is really good. And that's a good point. And speaking of the directing, I want to call this out, and I'm going to look it up right now. She's been getting so much credit for this episode. Well-deserved. Bryce Dallas Howard. And I want to bring it up because I she she's done two episodes. Do you remember what the second episode she did was? Yeah, and do you know I what? It was not, the, the one of the Mandalorian I didn't like. It's the Heiress, Chapter Eleven. Which one was that? Uh, maybe it did. I thought. I, I think that's remember. is that the one where Bo Katan first yeah, shows up. I, I think so. Yeah, so I think I liked that one. I don't remember yeah, the directing did. specifically, so I'll say I'm I'm pretty sure I enjoyed that one. I did not like her first episode that she did, the one in the village with the ATAT yeah. and stuff. I thought that that was or the ATST. I did not enjoy that episode at all and was not impressed. And I mean, I think the the second one she did was great, but this one blew me away. And so I'm eating my words and you know, I'm just wanna mm. shout out that she killed it in this. So, and I am very, very, very I'm, um excited I'm, to see I'm more struggling. from her. I'm struggling with this one from a direct That's interesting. Standpoint. Because the story is amazing and the story is compelling, but there was a lot of choices made in this episode that I were some of the worst to me, some of the worst mm -hmm. moments in Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett. Let's break it down. What yeah. what is it? I I thought there were so many cool direct, there was so many just cool this directed things. Really long stint of them putting the ship together and like naming parts. Like, did you get the coagulator? No, I got the mm -hmm. armor. Did you get this? No, I got that. And like. It was like a joke that was like, okay, this joke isn't working well, so just lean harder into it. Like, keep going. Um, like, that whole scene with Amy Sedaris, kind of Amy Sedaris's whole thing of her being, like, it was, I liked her in The Mandalorian, but this was way too much of her and way too much of her jokes. And, like, even, like, mm -hmm. dude, the joke about, like, Jawas being hairy and she dated a Jawa, I was like, that did not land with me. Yeah, that was that was dumb. I'm sorry. And if someone likes it, that's awesome. 
But and then like the whole thing about like the space cops, like the like the like okay, the the Rebel Alliance, they're now the cop, they're now traffic cops. We knew that already. That that happened in a yeah, but not in, to not to the extent of them like of him going like, oh, I'm sorry, officer, and then like they're like, can I see your driver's license and insurance? Like, I don't know. It was like that was that was the little too far and so was the ship stuff. And so was just kind of everything around Amy Sedaris. It was that that's going to be the most negative I'll be, but it was just yeah. a bit, it was all a bit much for me. Yeah. I will say I agree. I mean, I wrote in my notes, I effing, I just can't stand the Amy Sedaris character. And I'm actually, I mean, I'm a little bit satisfied right now. Cause I do remember you saying it, that she didn't bug you that much in Mandalorian. I, Every time she shows up in Mandalorian, I just cannot stand it at all. That being said, out of all the appearances, this one bugged me the least because I think I've already resigned myself to like, all right, what the hell, whatever. Let's get this thing over. So I will say like the jokes you were saying about the the parts and things, I didn't, that didn't bug me that much. Um, You know, how much time we spent with this character could be a directing decision, but I think most of the stuff that you're calling out, I would credit to the writing of them probably writing those jokes unless they were improvised. The job they thing feel improvised. Written. Some of those stuff. Yeah, feels, it could have been. Some of that stuff feels like, oh, I got a fun. It, it felt like I have a funny idea. Let me try this. Yeah, I mean, especially if it's Amy Sedaris, I could see them letting her have a long leash for that. So that yeah. could definitely be true. So we don't know that. The, the 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 officer thing. I've heard some people being a little bit off. I thought that was very cool, and it's developing, and it makes a lot of sense in canon of if. You know, we saw TIE fighter pilots and things do this when the Empire was in charge. So at this point, when the Empire is gone, that's what these people essentially are going to be. They're going to try to be peacekeepers and just keep the peace, whether it's investigating crimes or it's traffic violations or it's, you know, defending people with violence. Um, yeah, I guess, and, I, just, I guess I just don't buy it from like a history. Like I might be getting too nerdy about it, but like historically, at least in our universe, that has never gone well. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. When soldiers you know, think, become police officers. Like, oh, yeah. I mean, what's the difference, right? Oh, no. <laughs> um, yeah, absolutely. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you, off, cut you off. If you had a different, if you had more on that, go for it. Oh, no. I mean, I just, you know. I, yeah, I, I agree. And I think that almost sets up some of the stuff that we haven't seen necessarily on screen, but we've seen in a lot of books and things like that is the fall of the new Republic of the fact that it never even got off the ground before it got kind of destroyed. It yeah. wasn't just our killer base that killed them. They had a lot of in infighting, a lot of disagreements. They, you know, Mon Mothma dissolved the military because of that reason specifically. And, but they didn't have a place, uh, any plan to replace it. So there wasn't anyone to meet the first order when it rises. And so during this time, I think that you're right. That is a bad idea. And it feels like they probably don't have enough people to even do their job that they're spread so thin. Um, so I think it makes sense worldwide. And just from a writing standpoint, I thought, I think it, I thought it was cool. I, I kind of like, they were talking for a little while. I forgot his name, but the the, the actor who's in, on Kim's Convenience and was oh, the guy. Who's like, I, I like him. Yeah, he's great. I I, I could use more of him. I, I hope he becomes a. Uh, I, I do you know I, maybe I should watch Kim's Convenience because I really like that actor. I haven't seen it either, and I've heard nothing but great things. It's on my watch list, and I've I've seen that actor a million times. So sorry, I'm blanking on his face, but he's he's so good. He and they so were good. talking about giving him a 
a spinoff that was going to maybe be right. the awesome. the one with uh, uh, Cara Dune, whatever her name oh, was. They were oh. basically going to be like like Star Wars CSI. Like they were just going to go around being like like figuring out weird mysteries, like a, de- a detective story, trying to do basically like we're undermanned, yes. gritty cops that like oh, I'm too old for this kind of stuff, and so. Wow. I like that vibe. It didn't bug me, but I, I get why it was a little bit uh, cringy. Um, I also want to point out an Easter egg that the other pilot, who I thought actually did a good job too, I liked him. He has shown up in Mandalorian before. He yeah. was the body double for Luke Skywalker. So he played Luke Skywalker's body in the scene at the end of Mandalorian season two, and they superimposed uh Mark Hamill's face on him. So That's they lo- they let him actually show his face in this episode, which was good. Yeah. Good on you. Yeah. Um, so I think that brings us to the Starfighter then. We haven't talked about that. I, I think there's a lot of feelings about this. Um, do you want to chat, especially being a Phantom Menace stand? Yeah. Yeah. How did you feel about this Nabubian Starfighter? It was yeah, it was cool. I, I really hope it's not. Anakin's that would make it not cool. Yeah, I would um, be bummed about that. I, I, but besides that, like, again, I think they went way too far. They they spent probably too long here for for me. But I, what I like about it is creating a personal connection with this ship, mm-hmm. um, and it feeling special and u- unique because you were part of the building process. It's like Din Djarin's armor; like we were invited into that process and it feels extra special because we've seen it made piece by piece. Yeah. And so I, I think it's a really cool story. I think they could have like cut it in half and spent a little less time on it. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, I love that ship. I love how it's modded, not red. I love like the, the look of it. I, I think it's really cool. I, we had a, you and I had an interesting conversation with our friend Dave of like, and it's the first thing I think came to my mind, probably yours yeah. too is like, where is he going to store bounties? But like, I, <laughs> I think, know. I think that was why they're intentionally saying like, we, I took out the astromech port because I know you probably don't like to talk to people, but it's yeah. also like, that's, that's one probably where he'll store his bounties. And two, like they're setting that little bubble up a hundred percent for where Grogu's head is going to be. Oh yeah, absolutely. I think that's going to be so cute. I also think that they laid the, they laid the, foreshadowing pretty thick that they made little chain mail for Grogu. So that's also going to be really cute. Him just like in the yeah. back seat with his chain mail. Oh, that's going to be so good. Um, yeah, that that's just funny to me. Like I'm thinking of the first time we've seen the Mandalorian where he carbonite freezes Horatio Sands. And I just yeah. see in my head, he's just like, he does that and like brings it back to the ship. He's like, Oh, I forgot. I don't have the razor crest and like can't fit it in there anymore. Like he has to have a height. Like it's like a roller coaster. I can only do bounties up to this height. Like Jawas and below are the only people he can do bounties for. Um, I think it's a little bit funny and they're definitely setting that up for Grogu for a little Grogu, Grogu seat, which is nice. My guess, this is, this is my wild prediction. She, he did say, if you have another razor crest, let me know. So I think he's looking for a bigger ship still. Probably. I wonder if this series, Book of Boba Fett, will end with the mm-hmm. actual yeah. death of yeah. Boba Fett yeah. and closing that character's story. And then at that point, maybe he's the owner of 
what's it called now? Uh, Not slave fire, one. The fire spit. Fi- the fire. Spit fire. Fire spit. Fire something. The spit fireball. Fire. Yeah. And then what if this ship can fit within it? And so he has this as kind of a mobile, you know, uh, deploy the starfighter kind of thing and can kind of do his yeah. quick missions with Grogu in the backseat, like his Batmobile, while using the, you know, ship formerly known as Slave One as his main carrying people, carrying cargo, carrying uh, other people or carrying bounties kind of ship. Yeah. That might be cool. But I will say I did that. That was kind of a funny note. I agree that this could have probably gone a bit shorter. The part stuff, like the bits I didn't need. I did kind of like learning more about Jawas and just like that you can basically. Oh, I actually knew that already. Oh, it was said in one of the, um, it was said in uh, one of the certain point of view books. That's funny. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's, it is interesting imagining what they look like under those robes. Uh, but I like the fact that you can kind of just give them a shopping list and they'll just find it. No questions asked. You don't really know where they're going to get it from. Probably not somewhere you would agree with, but they're going to just find it. Like I thought that was some cool, um, new cannon. And the ship is just kind of really cool. I like how it has the sublight super turbo thing. I like the connection of seeing it built by their, his own hands. It feels very like, um, feels like rebels like the connection with Hera and the ghost because you know how much she's poured into that ship same yeah. with the Millennium Falcon those it's kind of a special bond and so I think they yeah. did a great job doing that and so I am interested to see it in action for sure yeah. I definitely like making ships and weapons and things special yeah totally big fan of that um let me see I have so many notes but um, I'll just a couple of random notes. Do you think that uh, Pedro Pascal stepped one foot on set? Oh God, um, <laughs> maybe not. Why do you yeah. ask? I'm just curious. I just think it's like he's been so grumpy about this series so so many times that I could definitely see a thing where they're just like, "Hey, we want you to do an episode of this." Uh, you don't have to leave your house. We'll just set up a recording studio there. We'll get someone else to wear the armor. You just do the voice. And That's he's like, funny. I didn't okay, know he fine. was grumpy about it. <laughs> yeah, he's his main thing is that he has gotten sick of wearing the helmet, basically, and uh, is wants to be able to fully act more. And so he's been pushing hard for that. And there's also been rumors that that has happened quite a bit, that he he's like, fine. I mean, if I'm not even showing my face, why am I even showing up? So they'll just put someone else in the Mandalorian outfit, and he just does the lines afterwards. Yeah, I mean, um, it's fair, right? I know, right? So that's just kind of a funny thing about, like, did he ever actually interact with any of these people? Yeah. Um, and then the I, I do want to point out, too, I, I wrote this in my notes. I think it's pretty clear that I enjoyed this as an episode on its own, not thinking about the greater implications. I was having trouble taking notes because I was so enraptured with this episode. There were multiple times I had to stop and rewind and, and like go back, which I usually like when I'm watching book of Boba Fett, I can kind of do notes and watch at the same time because it's not, I'm not missing anything. This just every single detail, every minute just had me fully. Yeah. Just me too. Yeah. It was great. I love that. Um, and let's see. Oh, the other thing I wanted to bring up is this idea of the conflict. I said that I think that he's going to meet up with Bo-Katan and get more Mandalorian. I think that they brought it up a little bit here too, where he's like, I'm going to go visit Grogu. And the armorer says, well, Jedi need to let yeah, go of go all their attachments, attachments yeah. which 
I think that brings up two interesting questions. One, Luke has kind of learned after Return of the Jedi to soften yeah. that a little bit. And in a way, that's kind of how he feels is his downfall when yeah. his, when Kylo turns is maybe he was too attached and so he shuts himself completely off. So I wonder if there is going to be, maybe even with Luke's guidance, if we do see Luke again in this series, a blending of Mandalorian and Jedi ideals. I wonder if this story, especially with the Darksaber, is kind of revisiting the... I forget, Tar Vizsla, Tar Vizsla yeah. story, which we talked about again in our yeah, Rebels of, deep dive of, Rebels. of, uh, of Trials of the, of the Darksaber. But they talk about in this that he was the first Jedi Mandalorian and he blended those ideals and created the Darksaber. I, like, I wonder if Din Jaren is going to be kind of the uniter of these two ideas again mm-hmm. and a figure that is almost the reincarnation of Tar Vizsla in a very cool way. Um, and so I think they're setting up some cool, oh, cool stuff there. Do you think Din Djarin, there's a chance that he has some kind of force-wielding ability, given that the Dark Saber <laughs> came to him and him and Grogu have such a connection? I would not be surprised at all because I feel like it's just like a Star Wars thing where it's like, oh, yeah, Finn has force sensitivity. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're just like, tell yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Oscar Isaac, what's his name? Poe po Dameron has S4 sensitivity. Yeah. So I could definitely see that. Um, and we've talked about it in our deep dives that everyone has a certain extent of yeah. force sensitivity. And so I would not be surprised at all. I think there's definitely something special about Din Jaren. Um, I think the questions that that brings up are one, we still don't know much about his background mm-hmm. because if you remember, yeah, that's right. We don't know his parents very well. Yeah, we don't know his parents. He was, he was, kind of Found. rescued during the clone wars and brought into the Mandalorian cult. And so I don't know, maybe he has some lineage of some force sensitivity too, which would be interesting. I don't know if I necessarily want that. And I kind of like the ideals of the blending of the Jedi and the Mandalorian being represented by Grogu being the Jedi side and the Mandalorian bringing the Mandalorian and them finding a coexistence. And that also brings up so many cool things about the old wars between the Jedi and the Mandalorians, things like that, that I think are very cool lore. Yeah. Um, would you like that if that happened? Uh, uh, I think I think it could work just because I wouldn't see it mm-hmm. coming. Um, or I think the greater population wouldn't see it coming. And um, I, I guess I would rather him not be a yeah. force wielder. Yeah. Go back uh, to the short show. Don't tell kind of be more subtle. I like yeah. the, the implications of that without it being completely spelled out. Yeah. Um, yeah. and then the, there's a couple of Easter eggs that I think are kind of fun. We saw the BD droid talking about yeah. building the ship that that droid is very cute. I love seeing it in live action. That was the droid that was introduced in Jedi fallen order, the video game. And maybe my favorite thing about that game, the oh, wow. droid was very cool. And we saw him do the hologram thing that that droid does, which I think is a cool thing where we see him fabricate the yeah. the piece of the ship. Right in front of him, yeah. Right in front of him and kind of place it to show him where it goes. That's a very cool thing. I, I love those droids. They're very cool and cute. Yeah. Um, and then we saw Beggar's Canyon, which was pointed out. That's a yeah. nice, uh, obviously that was mentioned in A New Hope, but it was also shown in Phantom Menace during the pod race. So, I mean, that must have made you feel good, huh? Uh, that was funny. Uh, I liked that. Um, yep. I'm guessing 
I'm guessing that transport ship is from whatever that freaking Disneyland ride is, right? Star Tours? Yep. Yeah, it is. Um, we heard Tread- no, Treadwell. Treadwell's think- name mentioned. That's always fun to get a Treadwell. Yeah, I think that's a, that's going back to me just not liking that Amy Sedaris character and it like being me being worried that that's Anakin's ship. Yeah, yeah, we got a Treadwell droid, so it's not the same Treadwell droid. Those are cool droids, but the fact that she owns R five, I think, is so <sighs> yeah, that's lame. cringe. And so I'm just I'm bummed by that. Um, but we saw R five again in this too, so a little Easter egg. I think I don't think it's Star Tours that that ship is. I think we talked about this. I think it's probably the same ship that's like the cruiser that they're modeling the oh. Disney World hotel over oh. the galactic cruiser um, but I might be completely wrong about that I did like that scene though again it's another show don't tell where we see the little uh the little kid uh yeah um, for the Greedo race what's the right Rodian uh, Rodian yeah. we see the little Rodian and you can just already tell it's a green green little kid and you can know exactly what Mando's thinking about when he sees that kid and that's nothing is ever said. He's never like, I miss my little buddy, but just the, that's great directing. I yeah. just see that it has an impact on him. And then, you know, he's excited that he has this ship and he can go see his little buddy. And so he kind of like catches up with that ship and see like it ties the loop in a fun way and waves at the, it's a little cheesy, but like, I like that storyline the whole arc of development for his emotions go from being closed off and hurt and sad about his friend to being excited and all these things trigger it without a single word being said. And that's, yeah. I think that's great directing for sure. Um, Not easy to do. And I think my last note is that this isn't a very deep cut, but the uh, wizard. Oh God, drop, him saying wizard. I, I feel like I know how you feel about it. I freaking loved it. I was so happy about it. I got. A, I thought it I was got fun. Just because. LOL. <laughs> I, I. I. That was probably the one thing I laughed at because it was. It, it was. It was the full circle moment of it's so bad it's good. Yeah. Which is what uh, generally what I like about uh, Phantom Menace. It's so bad it's good. <laughs> yeah. And so him saying wizard was. I. I liked. I enjoyed. Yeah, and I mean, I think it character-wise, I thought it was interesting too because it kind of <laughs> goes to what I was saying about him opening up a little bit yeah. because, you know, I don't think that was supposed to be serious. I don't think that was supposed to be a... Yeah, it's oh, like a joke. Yeah. He actually is like... No, he's not using that. I think He's it would be actually like, saying wizard because he thinks it's a cool thing to say. It would be like us being like tubular. Yeah, totally. I, mean? I think he he's, he's excited. His walls have come down a little bit. He's yeah. thinking already, I, oh, I now have a ship. I can go see Grogu. I can... I can, I'm free. I feel like that's the vibe I'm getting from him. And he's loosened up a little bit and he kind of burns her with like, yeah, tubular dude, like making fun of their, their silly local yeah. terms. And that's something we don't see a lot. We don't see a lot of personality from Din Jaren. And so that was kind of a fun moment for me when he's kind of sarcastically burning her. Yeah. yeah. And so, yeah, I was just, I was so pumped about this. I'm very interested to see, do you, do you have a prediction what the next two episodes are going to look like? Oh, no, not after this episode. I, have I know, no prediction. right? It's it wild. Could, it could go either way, man. I this no prediction. I, I'm not even going to try to attempt one at this point. Yep. Um, do you do you have a hope about where you want it to go? Um. No, I I, I don't. I, um, I, I really don't. I'm I'm at the point where I have no hopes, no expectations. Um, and 
Yeah, I just don't, I, I really truly don't. I'm just like I'm just I'm along this ep, this whole freaking show. I'm just along for the ride on this one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I agree. Actually, I think that's a better place to be. I have I've thought of a couple ideas about where it could go as I laid out earlier, but I think the only hope I would have is that it's none of those. I kind of hope that they surprise me again. Yeah. Um, and so that's what I'm going to be optimistic for. Um. I did, if you if you don't mind, I did forget one note I wanted to call yeah. out is this Paz Vizla fight. I don't know if there's much yeah. more to talk about. I thought that was actually a cool moment and a cool yeah. um, thing, especially thinking back to I mentioned the the scene where we see him as a kid being rescued and brought into the sect. Am I right that Paz Vizla is the one who actually pulls him out of the hole and rescues him? I might be oh, wrong about that, I but I think I it know. might be him, which is another really interesting thing about the fact that this character might almost be like a father figure or a, you know, someone very close to Din Djarin and the fact that the Darksaber called to him in that way to turn on Din Djarin in that way is kind of pretty interesting to me. So I'll go back and look at that. Um, but as we mentioned last time this character was here, that, that, that character is voiced by John Favreau. And I thought that was a Good thing. The cool connection is that pre-Vizla, the his ancestor that is mentioned in this, who we see in Rebels and Clone Wars, was also named or also voiced by by John Favreau, oh, which is kind of fun. So there's a tie there that they sound very similar because it's the same person, which makes sense because they're from the same family. That's funny. But the lore there that I think is interesting is that they talk about how you know, pre-Vizla was a terrorist. He was part of Death Watch. He wanted to get back to the fundamentalist ideas of the Mandalorians. And, you know, he took over and kicked out the the ruling queen of Mandalore because he didn't think she was strong enough, didn't yeah. think she was doing the things that they wanted to, that they originally did um, as, I don't know, badass warriors, I guess. And so she says in this that they avoided death in the night of a thousand bombs or whatever it was called because they were hiding on Concordia, which is a moon that we see in rebels. That's their, their kind of base for death watch. So I think that brings up some stuff to make it again, this cult more scary is that their roots are actually with this extremist terrorist group. And they've maybe shifted less from like, you know, political terrorists to now religious extremists. Um, but I think that's another very cool thing to foreshadow. And I thought that scene in history was all very cool as well. So I wanted to call that out because I, I did forget to bring that up. Yeah. That is, yeah. That's, I, I'm glad you brought that up. I did not remember that history at all. And it does make this, uh, these zealots a bit more, um, it gives people a bit more ammo to not trust them. Yeah, totally. I'm gonna, I'm so excited. I'm going to look up who rescued Din Jaren because I think that could mm. be another very interesting thing. But yeah, I, I loved this episode. It was great. What it implies for Boba Fett specifically is interesting, but what it implies for the greater Star Wars universe is very cool. And I am I, I am excited to see what is next, and I just hope that I am surprised. Yeah. Um, Do you know what? I have one hope. Maybe, yes. maybe, maybe the hope is just maybe no more Amy Sedaris. <laughs> I know that's brutal, but yeah, I mean, I I like her as a as an actor so much, and I'm just so bummed that this uh, that this is she's used like this. Um, and you know what I, I'm going to say is I think uh, I will make it very clear. 
I don't think it's Amy Sedaris's fault necessarily. No. I think it's just this fascination of just like, we need to make it quirky. There's there's jokes in Star Star Wars because she's playing like there's a character she plays in um what's the what's the show on Netflix that was made by the people who made 30 Rock with Aaron oh, from The Kimmy Office. Schmidt. Yeah. So she plays it. She basically plays a very similar character, even more crazy in Kimmy Schmidt. And yeah. I think she's really funny in that. Um, and so is it she works. She's a neighbor in that? Sense? Yeah. She's like the crazy neighbor yeah, that, like, weird. she's like, I don't know. She's always just like, ah, I, I slept on the ground and ate a rat or like yeah, has, yeah. just says like weird stuff and has weird hair or whatever. Like she's just like, she's literally <laughs> a me- as it suffers <laughs> from mental it. illness. Nailed it for, right? Yeah. Thanks. I know. Great, great punchline too. Um, and so I think it works if you're put in that works in the zany world of Kimmy Schmidt or another comedy. I just don't think it works in the Mandalorian vibe and they just keep forcing it. And I think she's doing the best that she can with the material, but it just doesn't work for me. So I do want to call that out. And maybe yeah. that's my hope too. Is my okay, number one hope, no more Amy Sedarius. Yeah. Number two hope. I'm pleasantly surprised. Number three hope, uh world peace. Wow. Um number four hope uh that everyone can uh can can eat and has food on their plate. And then number five hope uh that the I Chinese new, place that closed I want a new guitar. Yeah, also number six, the Chinese place that closed a couple months ago opens back up because I really miss it. Oh, yeah, that's sad too. So those are those Thanks. are our six hopes for Book of Boba Fett. Yeah, there it is. Awesome, Mike. Do you want to tell people where they can find us? Yeah, you can find us on Instagram or Twitter, Rebels Rebels Pod. You can always email the show at rebelsrebelspod at gmail.com if you want to get in on the conversation. Yeah, I am excited for this. Let us know your thoughts about mm-hmm. the weird cannon holes we went down and... yeah. You know, make sure to check your cannon hole. If it itches, get, get it checked Weird. out by a doctor. And Weird. with that, I will say, hey, Mike, you know what this episode was? Five. This episode was Wizard. Oh, nice. Good one. Bye. Bye. <laughs>